Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie, I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, Mr. Jeff Friedel. Absolutely awesome drummer. Um, and I am back in Scotland now. I was in Los Angeles for a while. And I'm back home. Ron North is with me right now, producer. How are you, Ron? I'm good, Scott. How are you? You know me, Ron. I can't complain. Never do. You used to this terrible weather yet? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I'm just, I'm just kind of slowly getting used to the awful weather and everything that is Scottish. So Ron's been holding the fort while I've been away. He's been, we've been emailing each other. We've been editing the podcast like from different sides of the world. And I stayed up to five o'clock in the morning to watch it. Yeah, that's right. Kulak's so you did. Woodshed. That's right. Aye. Um, I was playing a gig in Kulax Woodshed, and Ron for the second year running. It is the second year running. You stayed up to watch me. I've watched you in my pants. Well, you're not the only one. I'd just like to think a bit more females than guys, but you know, whatever. So did you enjoy that gig then? Yeah, it was brilliant, Scott. And of course, Divinity Rocks came up and played. Yeah. That was great. It was all good. Um, I've got a story for you about this interview. Great. I haven't told you yet. Jeff Friedel, great drummer, as we mentioned. Tanya was co-hosting. Um, so she, she was driving us back to Burbank that night because I was recording. We were doing, we interviewed Jeff during the day. Um, and like I said, I was recording at night, Burbank, and Tanya was recording, at God knows where, on the other side of Los Angeles. Yeah. So she was dropping us off at the metro station, the railway station. So she was trying to find like an appropriate bit to drop me off at, and the roads, this road was closed. So we're like, what the hell? We're both getting stressed out, and because she needs to be at her studio at a certain time, and it'd be my uh, the studio in Burbank with the guys from F Boom Music because Nora Germain was coming over to, to play violin in one of my tracks that night. So it's kind of getting a wee bit stressful. So eventually she drops us off and she says, listen, you need to go around this corner and walk this way. I'm going to have to drop you here. So I had to walk around to find the, the I think it was um, Hollywood and Vine, the, the metro station, right? So, drops off and I walk around and she she describes, right, you need to walk there, walk there, walk there. So, right, see you later, get out of the car, walk around. And then that road, is all, that street is closed. This is an absolute nightmare, right? So it's very, very stressful. Why is this street closed? And it turns out it's right on, I think I'm getting the name of the right railway station. It's it's right on um, Hollywood Boulevard, right? Right. So they have all the premieres there. And of course, there's a, there's a premiere on that night. The street's closed. This is really stressful. And then, so I see some guy that was like, that was manning the gate. Walked over to him. I said, excuse me. He says, you can't step beyond this point. I says, listen, I just need directions as to how to get the, the metro station because I need to go to Burbank. So he says, right, hold on a second. Got in his walkie-talkie. And he says, go and speak to that guy who was on the, the further gate down below because obviously there's a premiere on that night. There must be people arriving or something like that. The street's cordoned off. Right, okay. So he lets me through the little gate bit to go and speak to this other guy. Excuse me. Hi. Um, I'm looking to get to, to Burbank, but I need to get to on order 
I need to go into that street. How do I get round to this metro station? And as I'm asking him this, a limousine pulls up about five feet in front of us and out steps the rock, Dwayne Johnson. So I'm speaking to this guy and I said, hold on one second. So I just lean over the gate and put my hand out as the rock walks by and the rock hits my hand. It, was, it wasn't It was a full-on high five. It was kind of the, the top inch of that finger, right? So you just kind of hurt that thing as loads of people. So I think this guy and the other guy who had previously spoken to thought that this was some sort of elaborate con by me in order to get to the front bit of the gate because everybody else is annoyed that we're probably being queued for, queued for hours. So, um, uh, you know, The Rock kind of high-fived me a little bit. So this has went from being five minutes earlier. This is super stressful, and this is uh, this is a total nightmare. To oh, this is pretty cool. I spoke to Jeff Friedel, who's a great drummer, somebody who I really respect, and he plays with a great band called The Perfect Circle, who I'm a big fan of. And I've just met The Rock. So that was, there you go. That was my story of, of that day. Um, so yeah, Tanya and I spoke to Jeff Friedel. It was brilliant. Such a nice guy. Great drummer. So let's get down to it. <laughs> Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast, and I've got my co-host with me, Tanya, all the way from Ireland. O'Callaghan. O'Callaghan. <laughs> Not O'Callaghan, because yeah. I pronounced it wrongly the other day. Um, and we're with Jeff Friedel. Jeff, thank you very much for inviting me, inviting us into your home. My pleasure. Much appreciated. Nice meeting you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've been all around the world, obviously, playing drums for, for pretty much everybody. So, you moved to Los Angeles when... Um, literally about 10 years ago. This November 1st will be a decade for me. Right, okay. Yeah. So, th- th- tell us about the decision and how that took place then, moving out here. Uh, well, I've always wanted to live out here since I was a, a little teenager. I wanted to go to Lama, Los Angeles Music Academy, and it wasn't credited at the time. And I showed, I brought a little pamphlet home to my parents and showed him this is where I want to go to school like one year not credited tons of money I don't think so oh okay well let me let me like kind of reconstruct my plans and then I auditioned uh, to get a scholarship at the University of Arizona and uh, UNLV in Las Vegas as well I got offers to both and since I was already home in Tucson playing with a variety of bands I was in a Cuban band that was really good and very serious at the time a hardcore metal band that I, that was kind of my baby project that I loved. Um, jazz groups, big bands, I was doing all kinds of, of diverse stuff that I really enjoyed doing. So I felt like I needed to stay there where my friends were, all my bandmates. I was making a living from, you know, I guess the age of maybe 13. Wow. Until now, that's pretty much all I've ever done. So I felt like maybe I should stay there and go to the University of Arizona. That's what I chose to do. Left there in 2001, stuck around a couple of years, saved up a couple of bucks and came out here. Awesome. So it was obviously a diverse range of music you were just outlining straight away. So what kind of stuff were you listening to when you when you started playing? I listen to all kinds of different stuff, man. Even if I'm like into playing rock at the moment, I'll listen to salsa music or, or something or, you know, jazz stuff. You know, like the Brad Meldow trio or something. Right, like he's cool. a big influence of mine the different musicians that come and go in his group are you know fantastic joshua redmond too like some of the modern stuff that comes out of new york i really have liked for a long time and resort back to listening to um 
you know, Bill Evans, all kinds of stuff, Oscar Peterson, um, Count Basie Orchestra. Wow. I don't know. I like all kinds of different stuff. Los Juan Vons, my favorite Cuban band, and Monolito Isutrabuco, and there's hard to, to list it all it's so cool that you played in a cuban band what was that like that must have been great it was a lot of fun man yeah multiple cuban bands and then when i came out here i was honestly sick of playing rock music i right. <laughs> i vowed to not play rock for a couple of years even though i felt like well maybe that's a bad idea but i up to that time i had never made a dollar playing rock and i was 24 right fresh off the boat used to you know making a little bit of money playing in large cuban bands you know you, get fed and you walk home with 60 to to $100. Why bother the rock? There's 15 other people in the band, so, you know, but I enjoy the challenge of playing in those bands and, and a lot of them are reading bands too, so they just go, number 64, then you bust out number 64 and you read the chart down and with a big, powerful orchestra. And, um, I dabbled in that for a year or two out here until I started getting offers to play rock stuff and then that just kind of started soaring for me and I just grabbed the reins and, and took off with it felt like if anything I had uh, an encounter with um, Los Lobos' drummer and he's in the Latin world too but he also does rock stuff and one night I went to go see his Latin jazz group and he gave me a piece of advice that really resonated with me basically said how old are you what do you like playing I'm like I like playing all these things and he goes man if you're playing rock music push it now push playing rock music when you're younger and you have the strength you don't want to try to to be bashing away on the drums trying to make a living playing rock music when you're 70 it's probably better you do that when you're 25 <laughs> right? to, to 50 or whatever so that resonated with me it felt like okay i'm on the right path and i can continue to play all these other things uh, whenever i want on the side or be serious about it too the rock thing is, is, has been a little bit more prominent than I even expected it to be at this point in time. So when you first came out, did you have any bands here in L.A. set up or was it just fresh off the boat, no nobody? I didn't know anyone, really. I had two friends. I couldn't even tell you which direction was south. I had no <laughs> idea. You know, I just had a really uh, fantastic uh, bass player friend from Tucson. His name is Rene Camacho. And he just took me under his wing, you know, big time salsa, R&B, jazz dude. And then another friend of mine, a drummer friend, Michael Duffy, who was playing at Oza Motley at the time. And those are my boys, you know, and I, and I literally just aimlessly went out and started catching shows and meeting people at that point. And network, network, network. Yeah, you know, met... <laughs> Met a friend through friends. Oh, that poor guy. Let's meet up with him and have coffee. Yeah, he needs needs a gig. You know, I played some shitty stuff. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, Tanya laid it out. It's fine. Played some some not so good stuff and played some great stuff. How about that? It's all good. Very very nice indeed. That's why well, you got to pay your dues, haven't you? When you when you come out here, so it's um. And you certainly did that. Give us one second, Jeff. We're just going to advertise some of our previous episodes. Previous episodes. Not only is this episode amazing, previous we've also got a bunch episodes. of other ones for you guys to check out. Previous On the first ever episode we had in this podcast, previous we interviewed Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. Then we had Huey Morgan from the Fun Loving Criminals, Sandy Tom, Brian Rave, Orianti, Bob Jacobs, who's the head spokesman of NASA. Try not to choke when you swallow on that. Previous 
Then we had Dr. Phil Toll, who's Metallica's therapist. The Grames from the band Wet Wet Wet, Andy McKee, Steve Craddock, Cliff Goldmacher, Steve White, Martin Taylor, MBE, Stuart Copeland, Dweezil Zappa, Martin Harley, Julian Lennon, Carol Kay, Tommy Emmanuel, Kaki King, John Gom, Nick West, Thomas Lang, Rhonda Smith, Glenn Sobel, who drums with Alice Cooper, Ailey McKellar, Jennifer Batten, Larry Graham, Newton Faulkner, Jack Bruce, Antoine Dufour, Vivi Rama. Last week we had Warren Hurt. And on this episode right now, I'm talking to Jeff Friedel, ScottCowie.com. Go and check out all the previous episodes. Tell friends, spread the word, let them know what's going on over here. Stitcher Radio, we're on that. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, the lot. Subscribe, rate, review, and all that mother jazz. And, um... ScottCowie.com um, Go vegan It's so bizarre because I think that you only knew one or two people at that time so, so was that scary you're coming to Los Angeles and you only knew two people you don't know north from south or was it exciting was that a bit of both I think it was more the latter I was thrilled to be out here I mean it was a little freaky because mm-hmm. I didn't know the lay of the land you know I had I, there was so many misconceptions about the kind of musician you need to be and who you need to know and everything from change your number to a three two three number or else you won't be taken seriously to you need to know this person or if you're not hanging with these people you know like I came from a small town so I didn't really subscribe to that way of thinking I just felt like there's there's a path for everyone mm-hmm. out here you know like anybody can come out here even if you're a mediocre musician there's other musicians for you to play with and there's room for you I really subscribe to that way of thinking that like you have to be the greatest fusion player on the planet in order to make a living out here you know Mm -hmm. so I was a little freaked out because I just didn't know what the vibe was but I realized there's so many different pockets of players and scenes and all kinds of stuff that intertwine Mm -hmm. and don't intertwine whatsoever so because of all the different styles I play I felt like I'm just gonna dabble in all these different things that I enjoy doing and my path will just kind of be created for me as long as I'm working hard and keeping my head down and you know keep a good head on my shoulders yeah because the last couple of weeks Tanya's been telling me that one thing that Jeff always says to me you've got to do your time out here you've got to spend a good three or four years yeah has blow-ins from different places as you and me both are yeah yeah (laughs) it's really important you're certainly doing that you know like you got to hit the ground running out here and, and and play a bunch meet a bunch of people and if you're a good person you're a good player I think like I said there's just there's room for you there's room to grow and develop a substantial career Tell us about your meeting up with Billy Howardell and getting into the perfect circle, circle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, ironically, one of the first rock gigs I had out here, well, the first one, I think, was an artist named Linda Strawberry. She had a publishing deal through Chrysalis. She's done a lot of work with uh, Billy Corgan. She's a part of that camp. And she was putting a record together and putting a band together in Chrysalis um, through the grapevine, hired me for that. And then another duo of chrysalis artists were in a band called forever like red and i ended up playing with them right after linda strawberry actually during the same time um and that group we ended up showcasing at viper room there was a label a european label on chrysalis called i think echo the echo label and 
they signed the band, but the band couldn't bring me and the bass player over to Europe. They wanted to open up for Silverchair and finish the record and do all this stuff, and it didn't make sense for me to go out there. Um, but I stayed in contact with the bassist, and the bassist brother is in a band called Seosin, and they were managed by Billy Howardell's manager and Perfect Circle's manager. So my friend, who was the bassist of Forever Like Red, was contacted by his brother, and his brother said, you should tell Jeff about the Ashes Divide audition, he'd be great for it. So it was very kind of both of them to think of me. And I was on the road with a salsa band, riding out charts in the back of a, a van, trying to uh, get that set together when I heard about it. And I was literally in Arizona. I grabbed my, my credit card, went to a music store, bought a couple crashes because all my rock cymbals had cracks in them and chunks missing from them. And I was broke as a joke, but... But you know, a big fan of a perfect circle, and I wanted, I wanted desperately to be an Ashes Divide. So I, I um, went to a salsa gig that finished it. All right, during the day, one day I auditioned three APC songs really fast. I learned them as quickly as I could in between salsa gigs. Laid down video footage of them. Went to a salsa gig that night, and then at three in the morning, met up with my friend who filmed me. And we put the audition DVD together, shipped it off at like seven in the morning when we were done wow. <laughs> and just let it go. And a month later, their management called me and said, you're the front runner. Billy likes you a ton. And then I didn't hear anything for months. I made another DVD to be proactive, to try to figure it out, to grab the gig before I just had this feeling he was going to open up the audition in person. And he had already seen a ton of people apparently. And he hit me up. He goes, that, your second DVD is great, too. I really want to play with you. It'd be awesome. I'm like, yay. And then he said he opened up the auditions through Barry Squire. I'm like, damn it. Okay. <laughs> so I went in later that year. It was six months later in 2007 and uh, auditioned in person, went through a couple rounds. And then New Year's Day 2008, he asked me to join the band. And New I helped. Year, new buzz. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was the year that definitely changed my life and that was the beginning of it for sure I had a lot of really great things happen he recommended me to Maynard for Pussifer that was the first year I um, played with Devo mm -hmm. recording stuff for their last record and you know just things started stacking up for me in a pretty big way that year yeah it's amazing the sequence of events who you know the recommendations the way it works out here it really is it's just a domino effect <laughs> exactly yep so Maynard then, what was it like working with him? And that came about through that gig then. What was the kind of timeline with that? Was that within a couple of months? Was that a year later? That was, um, Pussifer wasn't even really a band then. It was more of like a conceptual project. They had released right. V's for Vagina, mm -hmm. the first record. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> yep, Matt Mitchell produced it. And uh, did you play on that? Yes. One of the ones I'm involved with, yeah. which was 2008, I think. Before that, I think. It was recorded in 2006, actually. Yeah. And, and then released, released in... way later, like 2008, right. 2009, yeah. Yeah, so it was like this conceptual... And it was a revolving door of musicians. It was just... Yeah. It wasn't a band, as you say. It was like a revolving door. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I heard that. I was like, wow, this is really cool and interesting stuff. I didn't think anything of it. You know, I didn't know that... He really wanted to put a band together. I heard little, um, you know, remnants of, of information from Billy that he was recommending Matt McJunkins, the bass player for Ashes and I, 
for the gig, but we were concentrating so hard on just being on the road and making Ashes Divide a success that we both went, wow, that would be incredible, but whatever, we're focusing on this, you know? That was the beginning of 2008, and I didn't meet Maynard until uh, like November of 2008. It was almost an entire year after I heard that Billy had recommended us to be his rhythm section. Um, so once again, it's just like <laughs> this long timeline that, that was just, you know, at least I had something going on. But right the, the day after I was done recording for six weeks with Devo for their record, Billy called me and said, okay, man, Maynard wants to meet you. He wants to talk to you about the potential of being in Pussifer. Wow. He goes, are you into that? I'm like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll meet him. You know, we showed up and asked him, you know, what is this thing, man? Like, what is this band? He goes, dude, I'm figuring it out. We're going to figure it out. I'm not sure, but it's going to be great. And we got to start somewhere. And so, you know, we just started working on tunes and reworking songs that already existed and Matt McJunkins and I just sat in a room together for an entire summer basically kind of remixing songs and submitting them to Matt Mitchell and, and Maynard and we get the thumbs up or thumbs down some of those versions of Stuck we still play in live some didn't and uh, you know it's just a highly creative group with a lot of really talented people it's a very very fun project to be a part of it's always changing Sounds great. So, kind of alluding on to a lot of the points you were making there, just about the level of commitment that you've had to, I mean, you've put so much into it in order to be a part of all those great bands and great projects. What advice would you give to, quite a broad question, but what advice would you give to younger musicians that are trying to do the same thing um, that, that you're trying to do, essentially make a living out of music? Is there mm -hmm. any advice that you would give at all, just in any kind of spectrum? I'd say you got to really love it because the industry is vicious. It's not fun to, to be in the music industry, but it sure is a lot of fun to play music. <laughs> you know, and the relationships and the bonds that, that you make along the way are, are priceless, but it's very difficult to make a living. I'd say, you know, you definitely have to love it. And I always tell my students, like you have to leave a trail of really happy, um, satisfied people that mm. you play with. You want people to look back and go, that drummer or that bass player was awesome and they were cool and they didn't give me crap when mm -hmm. I told them I couldn't pay them for 24 hours or I couldn't pay them for rehearsals but I was going to pay for a gig or whatever like you know you can you have to be as flexible as possible especially if you want to be a part of something there's always a give and take in the industry and um, you have to roll with the punches and, and you know not uh not be a jerk. Let's just put it that yeah. way. You know what I mean? Your ego's at the door. People. Yeah. You got to be careful about the standards that, that you have, but also you should have standards at the same time, you know, got to have good social skills and be able to play nice with people. But at the end of the day, it's, you have to have a good head on your shoulders and, and be a good player and leave a trail of, of happy customers. A lot of great advice. We ask everybody this too. Um, if you had the opportunity to put together your ideal fantasy band, you can have any individuals in that, dead or alive. This tends to take the longest time to answer. So don't, you know, it's all good. Oh, as, much as, as much time as you like. Put in some tumbleweed while you think about it. Oh man! No, so you can. I, I made the mistake of just assuming people would want to play their normal, you know, their their, their first instrument, so to speak. Uh -huh. But you can do whatever you want. It's your band. Are you are you on the kit for this? Are you 
Well, I mean, probably. Okay. Because I'd want right. to play with these people. Right. But okay. That's funny. Like, my imagination went to, like, uh, maybe having Vinnie Caliuta play drums. Right. Okay. <laughs> or Vinnie Paul from Pantera. I know they're drastically different players, but I love both of them for entirely different reasons. <laughs> um, I'd probably have Sting okay. in the van. Right. You know, singing at least. I'd probably have Sting singing whatever the hell he wants to sing because mm-hmm. it's his world. Um, Renee Camacho, who I mentioned before on bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he rules. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I know so many. He's going to be great. He's, he's going to be really nervous playing the bass with Sting looking over his shoulder. Isn't he? <laughs> he's so badass. I don't think he'd blink an eye. All right, okay. Brilliant. <laughs> one of Have some guys. of that, Sting. Yeah. I'm only kidding, Sting. You're welcome on the podcast whenever you want. Right? <laughs> on guitar. Wow. Where do you start? Where do you start with us? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Fantasy band. <laughs> yeah, what's your fantasy band? Let me think about this guitar thing. I don't know. I probably just have a karaoke band. <laughs> yeah, just her. Just yeah. just four karaoke's. I think. Multi tracker. Uh, I think maybe Lindsay Buckingham, Fleetwood Mac. He, I'm a big Lindsay fan. I love his feel. Um, I'm stuck though. There's so many. Yeah. Definitely Lindsay would be in the running for me, and Les Paul, obviously. Ooh. <laughs> Well, geez, you're giving me good ideas. Who would, who would Jeff Beck? Would he be on there? Jeff Beck would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. I like John Schofield. Brilliant. Great guitar player. No? Oh, yeah. No, I love him. I'm Michael Landau. Landau. He's fantastic. Yeah. Well, maybe at the end of the interview. Can we have multiple bands? Because well, this is this is the thing. I've 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 as I've been asking people listening as we've all sit and think about it, I've I've kind of got my idea in my head of from my rock band, from a three-piece funk band, and all that. You know, uh-huh. just reform Zeppelin actually probably, and then just play with them. Oh, Jimmy Page would be a good <laughs> choice for guitar. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty decent. Yeah, <laughs> or just drum for Rage Against the Machine. Oh, that would be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Oh, there's so many variations. There's so many friends that that I have that that I would like to be a part of the dream band too. I don't want to exclude yeah, anybody here. Absolutely. Is there anybody following on for almost like a follow up question? Who would you like to work with? You've not had a chance to yet. Is there anybody that, that springs to mind? Maybe apart from some of the the legends that we mentioned there, the likes of Jimmy Page. I'm sure it'd be an obvious choice. But is there anybody that you think oh, it'd be great to get in? get involved with them at some point recording playing live whatever yeah well man i'd say sting is probably my number one <laughs> that's why he was in my dream band <laughs> i've always been a fan of him from the Sting's police right yeah you hear drummer? this come on man come on now all <laughs> oh, his solo stuff too i really like great. it especially the first half of his solo catalog i celebrate it it's great have you ever heard sting make a mistake ever I don't think I've watched a lot of footage. And no doubt somebody, I know that will get emailed in, you know, for YouTube <laughs> clips of Sting. Yeah, yeah. Making he at stuff. least reads lyrics off a of music stand, which I don't blame him. If you have yeah. thousands of songs, then. True. I'm presuming you've seen all this time the DVD from yeah. one of his houses. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, man. It was he's in like France or something. He has the. He was in Italy at his house. It? Yeah, he has a house, his house in Italy. That yeah. Tuscan home, beautiful. Nice. You really know everything about Sting, don't you? Some, some things. <laughs> Not everything, but some. No, he's great. He's, he's one of the greatest ever. So where can we find you online? You've got a Twitter, you've yep. got a website. Yep, I have a website, jeffriedel.com. I do the Twitter thing, the Facebook music page that I'm on more than anything. It's 
backslash official Jeff Friedel. Um, I'm on Instagram too. New project, the Beta Machine. Oh, cool! Yeah, I have a new band called the Beta Machine, and we have a website too, and we do the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter thing as well. And I started that with Matt McJunkins, the bass player from Pussifer. He and I play in a perfect circle, Ashes Divide, <laughs> Karina Rounds band too. I think we're in five different bands together. <laughs> Mobile rhythm section. <laughs> yeah, we play together a ton and get called for different things too. We're and available for hire if Sting's listening. <laughs> right. Yeah, Sting doesn't want to play bass, maybe Matt can get in there too. <laughs> so we started that around the time that we started working with Pussifer. We just started creating things um, for Matt Mitchell and Maynard for Pussifer. And then we were also just kind of aimlessly writing things on our own and slowly developing them as we had time we've been he and i've been really busy with those bands the last five or six years apc the last three and a half years since matt and i became members but um it's been a slow developmental burn but we're finally at that point where we've recorded an ep we just put a single out called pictures and we put a video out for it as well we're proud of it getting a good response it's kind of put thank you Kind of put hard to put your finger on the pulse and see how good you are doing. You know, it's all those intangible things that you're just like, man, do we suck? Do people think we suck? Is this moving? Is it stagnant? You know what I mean? It's it's hard to tell, but I mean, we're just starting out. We are getting good responses, so we're pretty thrilled. Played a couple of Viper Room shows recently and sold them out. And getting some cool touring offers. We don't have a deal or anything, but we're getting some cool offers to do stuff, so... You come and play Scotland. We're excited. We want to. Yeah. We love to come to Europe. I think we'd we resonate decently with with European crowds. It's hard to get over there though. It's double the funds. You know. <laughs> <It> sure is. <laughs> As you guys know. Even more so than I. Absolutely. Well Jeff, thanks very much for that. That was a really good insight and into everything that you've done so far. And um get the band over to Scotland. We Thank will. you. Thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to Jeff Friedel for joining me on the podcast. Um, well, thanks for for inviting me into your house, Jeff, alongside Tanya, and chatting about your career. It was really cool to meet you, and hopefully we can do a part two at some point, get it videoed, because um, Jeff's a powerhouse behind the kit, so it'd be great for everybody to see that. Ron, what do you think of that for an idea? That sounds like a brilliant idea. He's a powerhouse, isn't he, behind the kit? Total powerhouse. And it'd be great to see a uh, perfect circle, drumming, um, performing. In our neck of the woods in Scotland. But you're performing in our neck of the woods in Scotland. Tell everybody about it. Yeah, um, I'm playing tomorrow in Broadcast, which is in Sucky Hall Street in Glasgow. And that's if you're listening to this, as you should be, everyone, on the 28th, the day that it goes up. This podcast drops every Thursday. So um, today being the 28th, tomorrow being the 29th of August, Broadcast, come along and see Ron. What's the band called? Smile and Regret. Of course. Because you're with multiple bands, it's not like I don't know the yeah. name of your band, of course, it's um, Smile and Regret, great band, um, we have, you. what songs have you have we played on the podcast of yours? Uh, I've done an acoustic version of a Cheating Teacher song, which mm-hmm. is another band, and that was on the Sandy Tom podcast, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, I don't think you've played anything else. We cool. haven't played music in a while. No, we've not played music in a while. If anybody's wondering, we don't actually play music anymore. If, MD, if there's any of these any hardcore 
talk music podcast fans that are wondering why we don't play music anymore. It's because um, we just don't. Just talk about it. We just talk about music. Yeah. We decided to just get rid of the music because we felt that, you know, there's so many podcasts that play music and we wanted to be a little bit different and we wanted to just talk about it. So if that's not a good enough reason for you, then we don't really care because that's the way we do it and it's, it's our podcast and we can do what you like. Um, having said that, if, if, if somebody wants to pay me a lot of money to have a song played on this podcast, music at gmail.com and I will happily sell out my <laughs> my beliefs and, and, and my strategy of just talking about music to accommodate you if the price is right. Ron, fair enough idea? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's be good. Maybe £10,000 for, for a song. For 10 seconds of the material. Anyway, we're rabbiting on. Next week, we have uh, a good friend of mine on the podcast, uh, singer-songwriter Janine Leah from San Francisco. <clears throat> we caught up um, when we were when I was in Los Angeles. That's the last of the ones that when I was in the, that recorded in Los Angeles that we're going to play for you. Um, and we we talked had a, a good chat about her career. So we'll be playing that one next week. So check that one out. Check out Jeff Friedel's website and. Um, Tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here at scottcowie.com. We're on Stitcher Radio, as I mentioned. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, the lot. See you guys next week.